Today I am going to preach the beginning of a four-week series. We just finished the Minor Prophets on August 20th. I'm going to begin the book of Revelation, which I'm super excited about. But for these four weeks, as I was contemplating the seventh anniversary of my wife and I being here and just the excitement of it all, I thought, you know what, I've got these four weeks. As I was thinking back through my seven years here, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to preach four sermons that I have preached in the last seven years. And just going back through and reading old notes and remembering when I preached these sermons and what was going on at the church at the time, I just felt led to go back into what I call the vault and pick out a few messages that I felt like were meaningful and I think are obviously still relevant today. I don't do this often. In fact, I don't recall ever doing this before in the seven years I've been here. I don't often repeat messages. But if it was good four years ago, it's still good now, right? right. So uh, I want to challenge you today and encourage you through God's word and one of the most familiar stories in the Bible. I was preaching a series through the life of Moses when I came across this passage and preached this several years ago, I think in 2017. But the Bible says in Exodus chapter 14 and verse number 30, so the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus, Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Then... Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Amen. I want to preach to you this morning on this subject. Don't forget to praise him. Don't forget to praise him. On the morning of July the 3rd, 2012, Sarah and Josh Blunt went to the doctor for a routine visit at the 20-week mark of her pregnancy. As they got into their place and she began to have her tests run. The nurses and doctors began to show concern on their faces. The doctor walked in after several minutes after observing the uh, sonogram and all those things that they do. They had to share the sad and terrible news to Sarah that this baby that they came to find out whether it was going to be a boy or a girl, find out that in fact their child, their boy, was no longer breathing and no longer had a heartbeat. And she would go in actually about a week later and be induced and deliver a stillborn child. Now, I don't know if you've ever lost a child. I know my wife's mother uh, lost a child at birth, stillborn. Devastating news when everything that you're planning on, everything that you're dreaming of, everything that you're looking forward to is completely crushed and decimated in one 
moment. And this poor broken-hearted woman had to live for almost a week with a child in her body that she knew she would never uh, get to experience that baby alive until heaven. In a broken-hearted state, she went home, and while she waited, she, she decided in doing her regular duties at home, she was cleaning up the kitchen one afternoon before the surgery, and she said that she just picked up her phone and had it played through a Bluetooth speaker uh, there in the kitchen, and even though she didn't want to, she turned on a random uh, Spotify playlist and hit play, and the first song that popped up on that playlist was 10,000 Reasons, a song that we sang today. She literally started thinking about the song, 10,000 Reasons, and she thought, with my heart breaking and, and, and where I'm at right now, could I really give God 10,000 Reasons uh, of praise with all that I'm going through? She said, I started thinking if I could do this in even one year. So she said, I quote, I asked Siri to do the math, and so Siri divided 10,000 by 365 and came up with 27.397 uh, uh, times. You'd have to give God praise that many times per day for 365 days in order to praise him 10,000 times in a year. And so she set it out on this journey. She said, I'm going to praise God in the darkest moment of my life, and I'm going to do it 10,000 times, and I'm going to do it over the course of this year. And she produced a blog called the 10,000 Reasons Blog and journaled this year where she wrote down 27 and a half things each day for an entire year that she wanted to praise God for. And would you believe that she found those 10,000 reasons and more that she could praise God for? And I want to just say to you today, God could be praised a whole lot more than 10,000 times and in the course of one year. There's a whole lot for you and I to praise God about this morning, isn't there? And yet sometimes we forget. Sometimes we uh, get so caught up in what is not going well, so busy in our lives and with our careers that we forget to stop and praise God for who he is. Do you realize that you take approximately 23,000 breaths every day? And I think that we could at least use a few of those breaths to praise God with for all the things that he's done for us. Praise comes from a Latin word that means to value or to price. Thus, to give praise to God literally means that we are proclaiming what he is worth to us. When you praise God, what you're essentially saying is, God, you are worthy, you are worth it, everything that I have is from you, and praise is a mark of the people of God. If you want to know if you're a genuine believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will fill your heart with praise. He will fill your soul with a song. Even on your toughest time and your darkest hour, you'll still be able to find a way to praise God because I'm here to tell you this morning, he's been far better to us than we ever deserve. He's given us far more than we could ever calculate. And I just want to stop this morning and say that this church and the people of this church should be a people of praise this morning. And I want to share with you from this passage of scripture a little breakdown of what happened and what this song that Moses and the children of Israel sang to God was all about. Number one, I want you to see this morning the people who offered the praise. The people who offered the praise. Notice verse number 15 says, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord. Notice that first word in the verse, then. 
This praise was not something that had to be worked up. It wasn't something that had to be recited. They didn't have to play the favorite song from their favorite Christian band at church to get them worked up into it. No, they sang because something had just happened to them. It was spontaneous. It was immediate. It was clear. These people knew that God had done something for them. Let me ask you a question. What has God done for you today? The Bible says in Psalm 66 and verse 16, Come and hear all you that fear the Lord, and I will declare what God has done for my soul. Psalm 144 verse 15, Happy is the people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. What an extraordinary thing happens here in Exodus chapter 15 when people break out into the first song ever recorded in the Bible. The very first time the church or the people of God gather together to sing is right on the heels of the crossing of the Red Sea. Now, folks, you got to understand, the crossing of the Red Sea in the Old Testament is like the New Testament equivalent of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whenever the people of God wanted to remind themselves of how big God was... They always went back to the fact that God was able to cross them through the Red Sea on dry ground and drown the Egyptians in the floodwaters after it was done. Folks, listen, I'm here to tell you, these people had just experienced a big miracle, and they had a lot of reason to praise God this morning. And I'm saying to you that you share at least two things in common with them. Number one, who were these people? They are people who had been saved from death. Saved from death, rescued, delivered. And it wasn't just the Red Sea for these people, folks. you got to remember, the, the crossing of the Red Sea happens right after what we call the Exodus. Now, the Exodus took place as the children of Israel were in the land of bondage in Egypt for 400 years. These Egyptians had made their lives miserable. They were literally slaves to Egypt. They often look back at this time as the worst time of their history. These poor people had been taken in there under a Joseph and had been loved on and given much space by the Egyptians in a land called Goshen. But now, according to Exodus chapter 1, 400 years have passed and there rose up a new Pharaoh that did not know Joseph and did not know the God of Joseph. Now the people were mistreated, the people were harmed and God sent Moses and Moses came down into Egypt and Moses was going to be the man that was used to deliver Egypt, or excuse me, Israel from Egypt, and the way God used Moses to deliver them was he sent 10 plagues. You remember those? 10 plagues. I mean, it was crazy. Lice and frogs and darkness and water turned into blood and all kinds of other crazy stuff. But do you remember what the very last one was? The very last one was called the Passover. And at the Passover, God said, listen, I want you to take a lamb. I want you to take that lamb's life. I want you to take that lamb, and I want you to put the blood on the doorpost. And that night when death comes through, and death is going to take the firstborn son of every family in Egypt, except for the family upon whose door the blood was applied. And that death that night came. And come on, if blood was on your door, you were safe. You were delivered. You were rescued. I'm just telling you, there's no doubt you couldn't miss the application for those of us here in the New Testament. I'm talking about a day that otherwise death would have visited your home. But thank God that one day the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ was able to be applied to your life. And if your life was preserved and saved and rescued by the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm here to tell you, friend, you've got something to sing about today. You've got something to praise God about because we've been saved 
from death. Not only that, they had seen their enemy destroyed. In verse 2 of chapter number 15, it says, He has become my salvation. Verse 4, Pharaoh's chariots and his army is cast into the sea. His chosen captains are also drowned in the sea. Notice verse 30 of chapter 14. Look at the very last phrase. He, he, he delivered Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel, watch this, saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Now that must have been quite a sight. Can you imagine maybe one fella stood there with his kids holding his hand and upwashed one of those men that beat him with a whip for years? Can you just imagine the relief that washed over the soul of these people when they looked down on the seashore and saw the very people who had controlled them, the very people who had maligned them, the very people who had hurt them and wounded them, had ruled over them for so many years, was now done and dead and gone? Folks, I'm here to tell you this morning, when you became a Christian, it wasn't just a ticket into heaven, it was a deliverance. Are you listening to me, Dan? I'm telling you that when you got saved, what happened is God, in the truest sense of the word, like we sang about this morning, broke your shackles free, and you are no longer under control of the enemy. He no longer has territory over you. He has been broken. He has been destroyed. He has been taken out because in Jesus Christ, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us so. I'm here to tell you, friends, you don't have to live like a defeated believer, a believer that has no joy, has no peace, has no love, has no freedom from sin. I'm here to tell you that when you got Christ, you got the presence of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of your life, and Satan has no more dominion over the people of God because of what Jesus did for us at the cross. I'm just telling you, you've got something to praise God about. So we see the people who offered the praise, number two, I want you to see the person who received the praise. Now you can read through this song later and here's what you're going to find. You're going to find that the Lord, the name Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is mentioned 14 times in this one chapter. And then in addition to that, pronouns that are referring to the Lord are mentioned 30 times. So literally 44 times in 18 verses... The Lord is mentioned, or a pronoun of the Lord is mentioned. I like what one preacher said. He said, when you read through these verses from start to finish, there is not one single note in the song about something that you and I did. Amen. Who received the praise? Well, the person that received the praise is the one that did all the work. Who are we here to praise this morning? Not us. Not you, not me, not some preacher, not some leader, not some teacher. There's only one hero of our story, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. So he, who is he to us, and why do we praise the Lord this morning? Let me give you this real quick. Number one, we praise him because he is personal. Look, if you will, verse number two. The Lord is, here it is, circle this word, my strength and song. 
He has become my salvation. He is my God. Hey, why should you praise the Lord this morning? Answer, because he's a personal God. He's not just the God. He's your God. He's not just a God of somebody else. By the way, teens, you learned this this week at camp, right? This isn't just your pastor's God. This isn't just Andy and Melody's God. This isn't just your parents' God. This is your God, our God, my God. Hey, listen, and if it's not personal, it's not real this morning. We praise him, not just because he's met everybody else's need, but because he's met my needs. We praise him not because of what he's done in our church, although that's great. We praise him for what he's done for us. It's not just that he's answered my parents' prayer. It's that he's answered my prayer. It's not that he's comforted everybody else in the church. It's that he's comforted me in my darkest time. Are y'all hearing me? It's not just that he's been there for you. It's that he's been there for me. It's personal this morning. That's why we praise him, because he's not just real. He's real to me. But then I want you to notice something else I love in this verse. Look at the end of verse number two. Actually, the middle of verse two. Notice this statement. The Lord is my strength and song, but watch this. He has become my salvation. What that tells me is there is absolutely something experiential about our relationship with God. Now, follow me here. The fact is, they knew he was their strength. They probably had experienced that already, no doubt, as they labored as slaves in Egypt. They probably experienced the strength of the Lord to to rejuvenate and revive them. And, And you've all been there before. Surely there's not one person in this room that does not understand God is your strength, right? He has raised you up when you were weary. He's allowed you to persevere when otherwise you would quit. You found a way to dig deep from time to time and get strength that didn't come from you to to keep walking. Come on, to keep moving, to keep waking up every day, to keep going to work, to keep being faithful to church. Surely there's not a person in this room that doesn't understand that God is your strength. And surely there's not a person in this room that's a Christian that doesn't understand that God is your song. He's the only one worthy singing of. He's the only good song we're singing about. He's the chapter and verse and chorus of every good song we've ever sung. We understand that. But watch this. Then there's another level. He has become my salvation, meaning there are some things that you know. Come on. And then there's some things you find out. So let me ask you this question. There may be somebody in this room today. You cannot say that. You cannot say God has become my salvation. Friend, can you say without a doubt this morning that you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? And that there was a moment in time in your life where he became your salvation? You say, preacher, I grew up in church. I didn't ask if you grew up in church. You say, preacher, uh, look, uh, I got baptized when I was five. I didn't ask if you got baptized when you were five. I think everybody in Jacksonville got baptized when they were five. Friend, listen, getting baptized doesn't mean you got saved. Getting baptized just means you got wet. You say, hey, listen, I took the Lord's Supper. It doesn't have anything to do with taking the Lord's Supper. It has nothing to do with my mommy and daddy went to church. It has nothing to do if my grandma's a preacher. It has nothing to do with it. Friend, there has to be a time where the Lord becomes your salvation. But as many as received them to him, gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I'll never forget as long as I live. I was on a plane one night. Uh, traveling and, and, and in my little gate area there were two Mormon missionaries that, that popped up right there and they were sitting like right across from me and I just felt led of the Lord to start a conversation with them and I engaged I asked them what they were doing I already knew what they were doing I told them who I was 
And they started talking about their doctrine, what they believed. And at one point, he said something like, yeah, we just believe, you know, we're all children of God. And, I, and then I opened up that verse to John 1 and verse 12. And I turned my Bible to the Mormon missionary and said, look at this verse right here. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. I said, sir, respectfully, you're not just a natural born child of God. You've got to be born again. And that happens at a moment in time. That happens as you accept Jesus Christ, as you believe the gospel, as you call upon the name of the Lord, knowing he's the only chance that you have. There's a moment, a time where God saved me, where God rescued me. Now, I can take you back to that time in my life. I can go back to May 25th, 1997. Bless his name, 26 years ago, where I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I'm thankful for that. I'm glad for that. Hey, that moment, he became my salvation. Now, you may not have a date, you may not have a time, but I'm telling you, if you're saved here today, it happened. You say, well, I mean, you mean going to church isn't enough? I mean going to church isn't enough. I mean going to this church isn't enough. I'm saying that there has to be a time in your life where he becomes your salvation. But even further, take it a step further for those of us in the room that are Christians, and that is this, that not only... Do we experience God through salvation? We experience God ourselves as we walk with him. What a sad thing to be a Christian but have no experience. No personal relationship with God that is birthing out in your life. The fruits of the spirit. Birthing out in your life answers to prayer. Power in witness. Faithfulness in service. Sacrifice in giving. God's doing something in you and it's changing you. It's challenging you. He's becoming more and more and more to us every single day. Friends, listen, your Christian experience should be taking you forward, not backward, and certainly not stagnant. There's things that are happening in your life or should be happening in your life. Listen, I hope you've learned more about him this year than you knew last year. I hope you've experienced more answer to prayer this year than you did last year. I hope you're being more faithful in your witness and your giving and your serving now. What is he becoming to you this year? He is my strength, he is my song, he has become my salvation. Verses 3 through 6 talk about how God is powerful. Not only is he personal, he's powerful. It says, that, let me just read verse 7, it says, In the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose up against you. I love verse 8, look at verse 8, it's one of my favorite ones. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. What did God have to do to split the Red Sea? Just breathe. That's it. Weren't you glad God doesn't have to get it all worked up to accomplish something in your life? Just, just breathe. Just breathe. He did that by breathing. Then it says this. The walls stood up. The walls of water stood up. I love this little word here in verse number 8. Look at this. The depths, here it is, congealed in the heart of the sea. Well, my goodness, God turned the Red Sea into a big jello bowl. That's what happened. That's what that means. He stood it up and it froze like jello as the children of it. Can you imagine being a kid walking through this? Can you even imagine? Doink, 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 trying to poke at it. And, you know, it's just crazy. This is insane. How did God, I don't know how God did it. I don't know how to explain it. You say, I don't even believe in the Red Sea. I, I believe God just, I just. God just let him, they just passed through and the water was probably all knee deep, wasn't it? Then the real miracle is that he drowned the Egyptians in knee deep water. 
Folks, you call it whatever you want to. I believe it's a miracle. I believe God did it. And I believe that it teaches me that God is powerful and it's something I can proclaim and it's something that I can believe. Why do I praise him? Because he's personal. Why do I praise him? Because he's powerful. Why do I praise him? Because he's preeminent. Verse number seven uh, says, in the greatness of your excellence, he's set apart. He's different. Verse 11, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious and holiness? That's a rhetorical question and the answer is nobody. Aren't you glad this morning to know that we serve the God of all gods, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords? Nobody is like him. In February 17, 2017, churchleaders.com uh, put out an article about a quote-unquote Christian college in Texas. A Methodist-affiliated school located in Abilene, Texas. They said, in an effort, I quote, in an effort to accommodate Muslim students on their campus, McMurray University has created a prayer room in one of its residential dorms. This small Methodist-affiliated university is located in Abilene, Texas, and is home to a growing number of international students, many of which are Muslim. In an interview with a local news radio station, the university's chaplain says providing the prayer room gives these students a chance to have the best educational environment possible. Previously, Muslim students would meet in a hotel nearby the university to pray. Since one of the five pillars of Muslim is to pray at five set times a day, like in a mosque, this presented a problem for students trying to fulfill their religious duties and get to class being on time. Uh, Senior Hector Flores, a student at the school, said, As Christians, we should be more open to free religion and letting everyone do what they want to do. And I think the Muslim prayer room gives them that chance. Folks, listen to me very carefully. Muslim and Christian are not the same thing. They're not. Mormon and Christian are not the same thing. Look, folks, it's very simple. There's only two kinds of faith in the world. One is you believe in Jesus and you trust in him. And one is what you have to do to appease God. It might be Muslim. It might be Catholic. It might be Buddhist. It might be whatever is you want to call it. But I'm here to tell you, they're not all the same. And in a world that is trying to break down all the religious barriers in this world, I want to tell you right now, there's still a God. There's still a Bible. There's still a Savior. And they're not all the same. Jesus Christ is lifted up above them all this morning. It should be praised as such. He is personal. He is powerful. He is preeminent. Now I'm going to be done, but listen to this very I'm going into overtime here, so y'all just pray for me, okay? By the way, this week at camp, our kids had three-hour services and didn't blink. Two-hour invitations, and nobody said a word of complaint about it. Worshiped and listened to God carefully and attentively. If I go past 11, y'all going to be okay. Final thing I want you to see this morning is the prospect that came through the praise. Now, this is interesting. If you read verses 1 through 12, it's all past tense. Now, watch this. You go read it later. Verses 1 through 12, all the verbs in the sentences are past tense. This is what you have done. This is what you did. Did. The idea. It's a past tense, past tense word. The Lord has overthrown our enemy. Past tense. But then you come to verses 13 and 14. Watch this. You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength. That, you get past tense, right? Look at verse 12. The people will hear 
and be afraid. Notice that? You see the change there? We went from past tense to future tense. Y'all ain't even catching what I'm trying to throw out there. Let me read a little bit more. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab trembling will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. They're singing about what God has done, and now what are they doing? They're singing about what he's getting ready to do. Folks, are you kidding me? They said if God could part the Red Sea, and he can get us through on dry ground and destroy our enemies, here's what I know. I tell you, when we go to Moab and we go to Canaan, everybody's going to tremble, and God is going to win. What is the perspective gained through praise? When you start praising God for what he has done, you will start realizing and embracing what God will be able to do. 1 Samuel 7, 12, Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer. What does the name Ebenezer mean? Hitherto the Lord has helped us. Maybe you remember the old song, the old gospel song, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come, and now I know by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Another song said it like this, Our God, oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. In other words, if God has been your help in the past, he will be your hope in the future. If there is a God that split the Red Sea, he's going to clear out Canaan. Is anybody helping me? If God saved you, he can save your kids. If God saved you, he can save your grandkids. If God delivered you, he can free you. He can help you. He can heal you. He can change your marriage. He can do it right now in the future. If he's done it before, friend, I'm telling you, he's able to do it now and on into the future. That's the perspective gained from Praising God in the past. Our future path, according to verses 13 through 16, is secure. Watch this. Where they are about to go is already settled. Now, what encouragement for you today? You have no idea what the fall of 2023 is going to bring in your life. But here's what you can already know going into it. God's got it. Secure. What's 2024 going to look like? I don't know. I guarantee you this will be somebody sitting in this room that won't be sitting in this room in 2024. There was somebody sitting in this room in 2022 that's not sitting here today. Death comes in and snatches out our loved ones year after year after year. But friend, no matter what is ahead of you in 2024, God's already there. He already knows. And you can rest peacefully in what's coming next year because you're future is secure. But then in verse 18, he talks about how our eternity is secure. Watch this. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. That's the last song. The last verse of this song lifts up the children of Israel's hearts and minds above what is in front of them to eternity. God just doesn't reign yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God reigns forever and forever. And that's good news if you're here today. Good news is this. No matter what happens to you here, there is an eternity waiting for you. And so we end this sermon like the psalmist ends the book of Psalms. Praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him all you angels. Praise him sun, moon, and all the stars of light. Praise him above the waters and above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Psalm 149, praise you the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Let Israel rejoice in that he made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. 
Praise you, the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the trumpet. Praise him with the sound of the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and the dance. Praise him with the stringed instruments and organs. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Let's pray.